Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, uh, gosh, uh, it's Sunday. It is the 19th of July. And uh, I just have to share with, with people, uh, I just chatted with you a minute ago. Well, you know, your mom and you and I are hunkering down during this pandemic uh, together. And I, I went up to you and I said, well, you're about ready to, uh, to do the podcast. And uh, you said, yeah, let's bang it out. Now, Here's my problem, Connor. You're familiar with Michelangelo, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you think Michelangelo said to himself as he was, you know, going back to work on the Sistine Chapel, "I'm going to bang this out, bang it out. I'm going to bang so? it out." Yeah. You think Michelangelo, when he was, you know, putting the finishing touches on the Mona Lisa, he said, "Well, I'm going to bang it out." Uh, it wasn't you know, a good Italian what? accent. No, the bang it out. When uh, Richard Nixon was right. working on six crises, do you think he said, "I'm going to bang it out"? When he was working on his secret plan to end the Vietnam War that he could only tell people about after the Vietnam War ended. And the oh. secret plan was uh, nothing. There was no secret plan. Oh, you're Did confusing. he just bang it out? You're confusing your dates. Six crises was the early 60s. You're talking about the late 60s. You're right. How could you're you right. have made a mistake like yeah, that? Yeah. I mean, nobody's career is, you know, hits at apex and sits sits there. You know, everybody has a bit of a decline. Ups Nixon's and later years weren't quite as good as his really amazing bang up early work. Uh, so I so anyway, we're going to just chalk it up to you. You know, it was a loose expression, but right. I believe we've got an excellent quality right. yeah, podcast yeah. in the offing here. Absolutely. So um, let's kind of reintroduce ourselves. Uh, I, I probably sound like a millennial, but I'm really a baby boomer mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a kind of a libertarian. How would you describe yourself, Connor? Uh, I'm definitely a, a left, um, left of center, very, uh, very much a, a, uh, on the uh, Non-right side of the spectrum. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, you know, You're not say comfortable that, with labels, are I you? I can tell. That, no, I'm just saying. I, I don't want to say that we're different or at odds, but we certainly disagree on a lot of stuff. But that's what makes this podcast so great: is that we actually have good conversations despite disagreeing. Uh, on our approach well, we to pretty much everything. We do our best. So uh, we're doing this here in my office. My office always has Fox News on at all time. When you <laughs> enter the office, Connor, do you feel a little like Damien in that movie, The Omen, when when he was being taken to church and it, and it didn't end well? Wow, deep know, cut. I don't know That's if you really good. Don't know if you saw that film? Uh, I feel a little more like um, the exorcist walking into the bedroom covered in pea soup. You know, this room here is kind you of know, a shrine. I don't have quite the neck flexibility that Linda Blair did. <laughs> Uh, so we're here to answer three big questions this week. Uh, why the hell don't we just fire bad cops? I think that's a good question. That's right. Is Donald Trump going to be the comeback kid? And finally, has wokeness run out of gas? Does it need a refill of ethyl? Good questions. Yeah. Before we get to why we don't fire bad cops, I, I thought I liked capitalism, Connor, and then I heard about this. The oh, nice. Los okay, good. The Los Angeles Dodgers are selling seats there at uh, Shavaz Ravine, Dodger Stadium, not for humans, but a poster. They'll put a poster of you, a picture of you in a seat that you select. Nice. Doggone it. And they've got two price points, Connor. 
149 Two price points? Yeah, $149, I think, for the season. If you're, you know, you're kind of out there in the bleachers. And, and well, two, not you, but your poster. Your poster, yeah, but it's symbolic of Do you. Do you ever get there to visit the poster? Don't think so. Oh. That's a COVID violation. And then there's another price point, $249. You know, they're a little better. The seats would be closer to behind. Have they lost their mind? Do they <laughs> really so, think there are morons out there who are going to pay hundreds of dollars for their picture? To Of course they will. They'll show up they on TV. We should, though. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. Are these the good seats, you know, the expensive seats, are those, like, going to be in the shot on every pitch or something? Because that... Hey, yeah, put like Mary, my face like Mary on Hart. TV. When, when sure. The Dodgers are in the playoffs. There she is with Larry King behind it, home plate. It's a poster of me. Can mm-hmm. I wear a T-shirt in the poster? Well, maybe Can product placement. Be an ad placement. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. I have a feeling that would be a little higher than the two hundred forty. Probably true. I just think that this is so. I'm look like a NASCAR driver. It's so back reprehensible. There. It's actually turned me into a socialist. All right. Yeah. All right. So question number one: Why the hell don't we just fire? Bad cops. And of course, we're thinking of this uh, of this guy who killed George Floyd. And I mean, I, I just this debate is never going to stop raging, Connor. Some people say, well, political blue is beautiful, but police blue is ugly and violent and racist and should be we should totally defund them. And others say, no, the percentage of racist and lawless cops is tiny, tiny, and society uh, suggesting we should defund is absolutely idiotic. The criminals are rubbing their hands together in gleeful anticipation. This debate is never going to end. Instead, why don't we try to do something really productive, like make sure we fire more of the Derek Chauvins of the world? And Hmm. my problem, Connor, is that You've got such powerful police unions and a, sort of a general societal trend toward let's not fire people. You know, people have a right to a job and so on. Don't you think it should be easier than it is to get rid of the Derek Chauvins of the world? I think he had 22 citizen complaints on his record yeah. when he killed George Floyd. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, I would say, uh, a great place to start what the value add of our podcast is. We want to establish the thing it is that you and I actually agree on. And and from there, we can branch off. And from reasonable uh, agreement, we can get to reasonable disagreement. You and I are on the same page. Of course, we should be firing as many uh, of these bad cops uh, with tons of complaints who shouldn't be wielding a gun and a badge, which, you know, are both equally frightening, powerful symbols and, and objects in our in our world. Should these people have that responsibility and power? No, many of them are, are bad at well, their job you and want, should be kicked out. You want something. these to be intimidating, frightening symbols. You want the cop not to speak like you know, Mr. Rogers, but instead, you know, the vehicular, um, you know, homo sapien uh, victim and so on. Because if they're like vicious, mean robots, the bad guys will be deterred, mm. don't you think? I, Isn't it good to be scary? Uh, I'm I'm a little less uh, I'm a little less on that front. I, I think having a police force, the idea that there is somebody out there on the end, other end of nine one one with a gun who will intimidate bad guys on your behalf is not an inherently bad idea and and it, it is fine and we're on the same page. My problem was, is with the premise that our solution should just be, oh, well, let's turn up the fire bad cops knob. Yeah, that's a very simple. How can that be a bad thing? It's a good. It's a good thing to think about. It's a good idea to as a thought experiment. As a thought experiment, but not actually to fire them. No, it's that the difficulty is that we've been trying to reform the police for a really long time. That there have been decades and decades of chances for police departments to police themselves, which is what we what we really mean when we say fire bad cops. It's well, police chiefs out there, figure out who the bad guys are. Well, guess what? What if it's the police chief? 
chiefs who are the bad guys. Why are we trusting the cops to fire the bad ones among them when it's the culture that we 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 allow to run the police and create the police that is the problem? It's not a couple of bad individuals. Well, if it's the police the chiefs are to blame too, at least in part, then fine. Let's reform that as well. I've been assuming that the main difficulty is the unions. You've got these board of rights set up. For example, here in Los Angeles, the city charter a few years ago was revised to create this board of rights deal so that you have a complaint against a cop. The police chief wants to fire the cop. The chief has to go to the board of rights, and the board of rights traditionally over the last several years has said, well, well, I don't know, you know, we better give them a second chance. And I just think it's so difficult to get rid of them. I, I think that we know in advance of these headline-making cat- catastrophes who the bad cops are. They are the subject of citizen complaints, supervisor complaints, incidents involving unjustified violence and shootings. This Derek Chauvin guy had a rap sheet as long as his arm in terms of complaints. is like 22 complaints, and only one led to any kind of serious discipline The process obviously was broken because somebody was asleep at the switch and not firing this guy. I mean, you're right. And and in this one individual scenario, we can say, well, we could have prevented this tragedy if this cop didn't have a gun and badge, if he didn't have his job. But there are so many tragedies all the time, all over the country. We see that it's not just individuals that you know, go wild, go, you know, one day snap or have a bad track record even and could could have been predicted. You can't, you know, stop every tragedy if the culture is creating an us versus them mentality where cops think of themselves as warriors where they're out on the streets, where they're trying to, you know, treat the citizenry like they're an occupying force and the citizens are, you know, uh, insurgents in Fallujah to be put down. This militarization of police and this idea that, you know, that everybody you encounter is a bad guy and is going to kill you. That is this warrior mentality that they inculcate cops with. Okay, so to the extent we need to change that culture, I'm happy to hear that debate. Then we agree. But here's my problem, because I think it's broader in society. The problem of firing bad cops, I think, is symptomatic of the barriers to firing people throughout society. I mean, we're not going to solve this problem now during COVID when everybody's losing their job. And here I am saying, let's make it easier to fire people. But when we kind of return to normal, I think employers should be able to get rid of bad workers. It shouldn't be like tap dancing in molasses to face the power of unions and the threat of litigation. I mean, maybe we can't easily get rid of bad cops and just fire them. How about doing the bad teachers route? You can't fire a bad teacher in our society today unless they are Charles Manson. Instead, you put them in a rubber room for decades and you keep giving them checks. If we did that with bad cops, at least they wouldn't wind up on YouTube. So I hope when we return to normal, we can kind of revisit this issue about termination in general. I hope so too. So we are going to pause. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And uh, please check us out. Uh, yeah, if you, of- like, uh, if you like the pod, go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you get the podcast. Uh, if you use you know, Podcast Addict or Stitcher or Spotify or anywhere else that you find us. Uh, and give us a review, uh, you know, leave us a little uh, little message explaining which of the hosts is better um, and more correct about everything. <laughs> uh, and then just write my name. And then, uh, yeah, call it good. You know, five stars. We really appreciate it and help uh, spread the word. We'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, here's a provocative question that uh, people are going to line up on on the two sides of. Is Trump 
going to be the comeback kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rasmussen poll, highly respected poll, says he's only down by three points now. I mean, for weeks we've been hearing double-digit lead for Joe Biden, and it's growing. And oh my gosh, the the big swing states—it's it's all over. And I guess the question is, could it be the culture war going on? I mean, not to dip too far back into ancient history, but. It worked for Richard Nixon in 1972 against George McGovern. He mm-hmm. was able to paint the guy as a real radical. The Republicans said the triple A campaign. He stands for acid, amnesty, and abortion. So why is it the Democrats can't simply say we want everybody to have free health care? Uh, we want to make sure that we solve the problem of climate change. Uh, instead, why do they have to take on the culture wars? I mean, they're People are talking, Connor, about replacing the Star Spangled Banner with uh, with some other song because they think it's not sufficiently woke. I mean, don't you think that Donald Trump would just be crushed if we simply went forward with a very low-key approach? And that's exactly the why the Democrats have chosen the most boring, milquetoast Joe Biden imaginable, how they— you know, did everything they could to stop the the you know Bernies of the world from winning the uh, winning the primary. How they you know rec- recruited every other middle of the road person who had anything objectionable about, about them. Oh my gosh, this candidate's a woman. We got to force her to drop out and endorse Biden. No, this candidate's gay. We got to drop force him to drop out and endorse Joe Biden. Now, force is maybe a strong word. All these people did it. I'm sure for you know political favors, and they're hoping to get cabinet seats, and they're hoping to get you know advancement in their career. So it's not like they had a gun to their head. But this is the Democratic Party's plan to choose the most boring, milquetoast, middle-of-the-road guy ever, Joe Biden, keep him in a basement for six more months, just hope nothing happens. And yeah, the Democrats out there, as vilified on Fox News, Linda Blair style, are going to, you know, they're going to get painted as radicals because there's always somebody talking about getting rid of Francis Scott Key songs because Francis Scott Key was a bad dude or whatever. But there's nothing the Democrats or the DNC can do about that. What, what do they want? You, they say, Nancy Pelosi, you can't tweet ever again. All she does is tweet Trump is a bad dude. Vote for Biden in November. Like they, they can't control the messaging any more tightly than they are now. It's been the most boring, mainstream, non-issue focused campaign of all time given that we are in a period of extremely rapid change in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, the world is changing faster than it has in a decade, Mm -hmm. and the Democrats are doing basically nothing in response to it. The fact that the world is changing is not this extreme position staked out by the Democratic Party or the National Committee and, you know, making this into a culture war election. The world's just changing, right? Like Black Lives Matter is just happening. A pandemic's just happening. People so, are realizing, oh my God, we need universal health care and police reform and all these other things. It's not like Joe Biden is the source of all this controversy. So with my finely tuned antenna, yeah. I'm able to just pick up, you know, people's secret intentions. Right, right, right. I infer from what you just said that you're not exactly happy about the Democrats running a milk toast candidate. And, no. And I'm wondering no. here if if your secret hope, if you were the campaign manager yes. um, uh, helping Joe Biden, who is, let's say, he's just kind of struggling at, right. at times with, with things. Uh, if you were the campaign manager, would you say, now, now look, Joe, um, here's the deal. We're, we're pretty much locked into a, a, right. a woman of color for a vice president. Okay. And uh, I feel very strongly, uh, Joe, uh, AOC. AOC is the way to go. I mean, she absolutely will energize countless Americans. Uh, it is it is her time. I don't think she's she, technically she would be eligible. Prepared. I think you have to be 35 be to be pre- VP because you could become president. 
Okay. And that person has to be 35, but but go ahead. Yeah, so if if she were eligible, would you say, given your druthers, that this would be the way to go as opposed to just having a milk toast guy who kind of pretends to be progressive during the primary, but probably as soon as the convention, as soon as the right. balloons pop, right. suddenly he's going to come across as a lot more centrist, yeah. maybe. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yes, in this because and this comes back to our fundamental disagreement about how the American electorate uh, is made up and how elections are won. I find uh, it more convincing that uh, and these are just con- you know, competing models that different political scientists believe in and, and, and do research on at different times in, hu- in human history and American history and other countries history. The idea that either there's an unswayed middle that can be grabbed, uh, grappled with and dragged to your side of the political spectrum and convinced to vote for your guy or that elections are really about making sure that your base comes out for the vote. And if you put an AOC-type inflammatory firebrand up there and you get all the Bernie bros to come out, you inflame your base, you make sure you lock up the vote that you've got, and if that's enough people, you win. As opposed to the Joe Biden school of things, which is— to try to reach across the aisle and get that 1% or 2% that are in the middle of the political spectrum who can say, well, I like to lean left or I like to lean right. In this election, I like Biden more than Trump. In my mind, that person doesn't exist. There's nobody out there except Ken Bone. You remember Ken Bone? Yeah, the guy with the red sweater. Red sweater at the debate or town hall or whatever it was who stood up and said, well, I work at a, you know, coal power energy plant. And, you know, he didn't say any of this, but basically that I come from a super conservative place, but I'm kind of torn about the idea of who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. And I don't know who I'm undecided. Ken Bone was undecided six weeks before the Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump election. He was the only man in America who was undecided six weeks before the Hillary Clinton Trump election. Well, you knew he, he had poor judgment buying that red sweater. Yeah. Ken doesn't matter. You can't win elections what about with this? only Ken Bones. There's only this? one of him. What about this statistic? 44% of the electorate is a white working class voters. Now, I think those folks are kind of up for grabs. A, a, a famous conservative author said just the other day, Connor, it isn't right versus left. It's radical left versus everybody else. And to the extent that's what come ac- uh, comes across, I mean, couldn't the Democrats be in a little trouble? And, and by the way, I need to tell you, Connor, because yeah. it's full disclosure, the famous author is Ben Shapiro. I know he's a Big favorite of Famous, yours. yeah, he's real big, super big, uh, extremely big. The lifts in his shoes make him pretty big. Um, look, it's not radical left versus everybody else. It's radical left on one side saying things like defund the police, make the world a better place, clean up the environment versus radical right on the other side saying things like I'm a Nazi or Did you I say like quite defund the police with make the world a better place and clean up the environment? Yeah, but they're all basically morally well, but that's equivalent. That's just the point. You if you're comfortable with with equating those three, yeah. you're on the radical left, and right. you're going to be seen, aren't you, as the George McGovern acid abortion amnesty type, and and set yourself up possibly for Donald Trump? Oh my God, getting reelected? No, it's because the only way he can get reelected I- is if he is able to stand up and say. Can you believe it? They want to get rid of the freaking Star Spangled Banner. They want to blow up George Washington's head off of off, statues, uh, yeah, 
of Mount Rushmore and right. replace it with AOC. Right. That is his message. Right. It's going to resonate with countless members that's of it. the 44% of the white working class voters. Well, that's that's the thing. I disagree that, that this 44% of white working class American voters is you know, swayable back and forth. Half of them came from liberal parents. Half of them came from conservative parents. No, they're just not swayable. They're not swayable. Half come from liberal parents and half come from conservative parents. Or maybe they're apolitical. I mean, a lot of people are in the middle. Lots of people are apolitical. And they they are not the kind who say, doggone it, I voted for a Republican every ballot for since I was 18. Most people are that way, though. Well, I don't know. I would guess guess a third of the public falls in the middle, and they're just not the political. They're just not that into the whole political scene back and forth. They might not listen to our podcast. Yeah, that's definitely true. But I think that that group in the middle is not a 33% slice of the electorate. I think it's more like 3% of the electorate. Mm. I think it's largely irrelevant. And I think that the way that they manifest it, that if you, you mean think that, You mean they're deplorable. That, that the middle, no, they're liberal and conservative in the middle there. They're I just know. not swayable. They're just closer to the middle of the spectrum and they're not going to change their mind. They're not going to jump over. No Joe Biden voter is ever going to jump over and vote Trump. No Trump voter is ever going to jump over and vote Joe Biden, at least not in numbers that matter. What they do or don't do is not vote. They right. don't show up. So if you have people who are hardcore on the right, they're always going to vote Trump. They're always going to show up to vote Trump. You have people who are hardcore on the left. They're always going to vote anybody but Trump, and they're always going to show up to vote. They're this you know third in the middle that's swayable. They're not actually convincible to come to your side. But if you don't, as the right candidate, you don't inflame them and excite them enough to come out, which is why they're talking about Star Spangled Banners and blowing up the uh, Mount Rushmore and, you know, they're, they're build a wall at the border because you're afraid of brown people or whatever. That inflames your, your conservative people to make sure that they come out and vote. And you have to, on the left, also inflame the left so that they come out to vote. And you can do that by putting somebody like AOC or, you know, whatever, Stacey Abrams on your ballot. So people are like, wow, this is an exciting time to be voting. I'm happy to be part of the process. It's a cool thing to be able to tell my kids I voted for the first woman of color ever to become vice president. Like that is going to be a feather in people's caps for the rest of their lives. That gets people out to the polls to vote, to make the world a better place in their minds. That's how you invigorate the left. You also do it by vilifying, you know, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. There are lots of methods for exciting your base, but I think that's the the valuable you know election strategy. And you and I just disagree on that because you're saying reach across the aisle and convince those people that, who are saying, well, you know, I I want to I, I I could go left, I could go right, I could be a Biden voter, I could be a Trump voter. I think you're right, Trump's a bad guy. I think Biden, he's a good guy, he's a centrist, whatever. I'll vote uh, for him. That slice of the world is so. Find me a voter who's a Ken Bone. I can't find him. And in four short months, we'll know who's right wow. on this. We'll have one day point. Resolvable <laughs> issue. We'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And I got to say, this has been uh, a very high energy pod for a week when. Little has happened in the news. Basically, the news this week has been uh, that jackbooted, unnamed, tagged, unidentified thugs are abducting people in Portland. Yeah. And uh, what else happened this it, week? It has been kind That's of a it. slow week. It's uh, been chill. We should but, chill. We should slow down. No, we should lower hard. the energy it's level. Hard to I chill. Should, with I these should take some issues. deep breaths. I should drink some water. I should. 
go to bed well, at 9.30 p.m. Well, before we get to our final question as to whether the tide is turning on wokeness and political correctness, because it's we've not. got Oliver Stone to hear from and oh, Ricky Gervais. Before we oh, get to that, speaking of the news of the week, you were mentioning that uh, there was a pretty uh, interesting interview. Uh, Chris Wallace had an exclusive That's interview. True. That also did with, happen today. With President Donald Trump. Uh, and I was perplexed it's by, a classic. It's by an Donald's focus on this, uh, this cognitive ability cognitive test. Ability test. Yeah. So Trump said you know, proudly that he aced this cognitive test, which is, of course, just an attempt by him to you know, not say Biden's name, but point at Joe Biden. So everything he wants to say is an attack on Joe not Biden. Not only so, sleepy Joe, but demented Joe. Right, right. He's tried a bunch of nicknames. None are really working, unfortunately, because we kind of want a sleepy president. Um, but he basically, in this interview with Chris Wallace, he Low energy down on jab it. worked. That's true. Uh, that's Exclamation true. point. Well, it's a primary. Jab. you got to excite people in a primary. In a general, you can be as boring as you want. you got to run back towards the middle. So uh, so in this uh, in this interview with Chris Wallace, Trump said, uh, oh, I aced this test. I, I, I did really well in this test. The people, the doctors at Walter Reed, they've been so surprised at the, the cognitive uh, test results with me. It was, it, was, it was great. And Chris Wallace said, uh, you know, I took that test. Uh, I took Oops. it, and it wasn't the hardest test. Uh, if you remember, there's a question on there. It says, "What is this?" And it's a picture of an elephant. And Trump goes, "No, well, I mean, yeah, the, the the first couple of questions on the test are really easy, but then you know, it gets hard. And man, he couldn't. I bet, I bet you couldn't answer the last five questions on the test. I mean, it's really hard, really hard questions at the end of the test. Telling Chris Wallace that right. the questions at the end of the test are really hard. And Chris Wallace says, "Well, the end of the test questions are." Count backwards from a hundred by seven. <laughs> so that and Trump starts interrupting him again. Well, you know, Joe Biden, blah blah blah. And Chris Wallace just starts going, 93. You know what I think? You know what I think they should have done, Connor, instead of an elephant, because that, that is kind of easy. They should have had a camel with one hump or two uh-huh. and, and make the person know, was it a dromedary or is it a camel? Now that, that would have been would be a challenging a test. Well, you you pointed out that this is exactly the point that Trump is almost missing that this is not an IQ test. Yeah, that it's it's very interesting to me. I mean, my day job uh, as, a, as a lawyer, um, I have taken the deposition of literally hundreds of people with psychological, psychiatric Sick issues. Sick brags. And so um, sometimes these tests arise to, to find out if somebody is disabled, if they do have mental issues. As you say, there are IQ tests, and right. that just tells you if you're, you know, if you're really smart, you're Einstein, you're 160, or you're 40, Connor, or 120, anybody. or Connor or anybody, and 100 is the average, which is a little scary because when you think that if 100 is the average in America for every 120 guy walking around, there's, there's, an, a, 80. there's an 80. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's not what mostly. we're talking about. These te- the cognitive ability tests are given generally to folks who are in their 70s, 80s, who are starting to decline. Doctors want to know if the, it's oncoming dementia, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, you know, there's something maybe that we can do, Aricept, the medication can help. These questions are all for, you know, reasonably intelligent folks walking around who are not on the brink of dementia in older age. Everybody would ace the test. Right. There is a question that's standard in these tests, and that's uh, spell uh, out loud the word world backwards. If you having are starting to have issues with dementia, spelling world backwards. Okay, that actually ain't sounds hard easy. to me. That's just it. D- Normal folks L- might take a pause and then yeah, you'd yeah, get it yeah, exactly yeah. right. 
people with oncoming issues, they can't do it, yeah. along with a lot of the other 30 questions. So the idea that Trump would be trumpeting, that he <laughs> aced this test, that right. basically is just to try to ferret out folks that have really difficult problems. Now, you remember when Trump first was in office, they were seriously talking 25th Amendment. He's losing it. Right. My goodness, he's crazy. Well, I think he's proven. I mean, you can see in his extemporaneous performances where he is uh, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jim Acosta and these other people, he actually is quite lucid and quite intelligent. Now, you can argue with his judgment and, and his politics and so on, but he's not, he doesn't have a problem with dementia. All these stories about how he can't read or he doesn't read or he doesn't understand. He has his own style, and I think a lot of executives are like that. They don't want to read a bunch of stuff. They just want people, boom, boom, right. report to them. He's but, basically like Louis XIV, right? Louis XIV didn't do a lot of uh, reading because he had a team of, of people who all made sure that he was happy and comfortable and, and ran, you know, old-timey France uh, really well. And if you brought him a piece of paper to read, he'd probably just as soon tell you uh, to, you know... Let them eat cake. Or, or t tell somebody to cut your head off right. rather <laughs> than, you know, let you force him to do some sort of difficult work. Trump has sleepwalked through his entire life from when he had somebody else take the SATs for him uh, up until when he was granted multi multiple hundreds of millions of dollars from his father as loans and then from his father as estate in order to create a business empire that he then torpedoed and destroyed and took to the ground multiple times he's at the very 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 top he's never had people tell him you have to do this or your life is difficult so of course he's not going to read difficult work or listen to advisors well, who give him briefs you're, you're or anything else right. he's got his own style and that style is extremely simplistic and childish and when we look at it we go we go wow that's not what a president should look like well, or you a may senator be right on you're right that, but i think your point earlier was the key and that is he is a very clever politician. And I think his idea is, let's get everybody thinking and talking about Joe Biden's state of mind, his yes, mental abilities. True. And so talking about a cognitive test in that context, even though it was silly, because it is an elephant type test. Right. Uh, yeah, he, he's, you know, he's a, a shrewd politician. I would disagree that he's a shrewd politician. I think he's a middling do, or mediocre do, politician. You who, do know where he works. There, that's in true. The awfulest, <laughs> Oval Office. You do know that with absolutely no political background, he beat 16 seasoned yep. Republicans and I then think, beat Hillary freaking Clinton. I think uh, I think that he had a lot of luck and good timing on his on his side right. and everything kind of lined up for him. I mean, it's not like it's the first time that he's tried to become president and it's not like he was successful in every aspect of his campaign, but he had he happened to be the head of the birther movement and have captured the the hearts and minds of a bunch of racists who hated Barack Obama and he carried that wave buoyed by a, a you know a white supremacist Steve Bannon and Brad Pascal who smartly captured this angry uh, resentful white sentiment and then also reached out to conservatives and said to the uh, po conservative political establishment we will make you billions and billions and billions of dollars by shredding the regulatory state and installing hundreds of conservative judges who will continue to shred the regulatory state and who will continue to keep in their thrall the millions of religious people who have been captured by the the right and convinced that they are the only group that represents things like being you know protection of unborn children Children and whatever else. And he is at the head of this cresting wave that took, you know, control of this whole conservative movement, hijacked it. Well, it didn't really hijack it. It was already going that direction. But it was all pretty much luck and smart political advisors around him 
He was putting his foot in his mouth and screwing up from day one. Okay, so, And then people, like, after the Billy Bush tape came out, well, you've got Steve Bannon who steps in and saves him with a panel of women who accuse Hillary Clinton of standing by while Bill Clinton sexually uh, harassed or assaulted them. This is brilliant, evil politicking, but it's not Trump doing it, it's Steve Bannon. Okay, so we're going to put Connor vote in the column for Donald Trump right there. I mean, probably. He's he's a capable... uh, Capable politician, now, at least, and that's pretty good. Just, Joe, he's probably a better politician now, than Joe Biden. What you just did, Connor, was give us a very articulate, mm, very that. thoughtful, very complete uh, list of all of the arguments against Donald Trump. Some. And, and, and in a very emotional and passionate Thank way. You. And I believe it was triggered. It mm-hmm. was triggered by the notion. I'm definitely triggered. The notion that Donald Trump, oh, he was kind of smart, did some did something well. Right. Now, would you acknowledge that perhaps this is a variety of Trump derangement syndrome? Yes, yes, yes. yes. That, that what, what my, my offhand of comment about, well, gosh, you beat all these folks, and yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. A, mm-hmm. got a pretty good political instinct. I mean, you just laid out the entire case against Donald Trump, mm-hmm. uh, but, I mean, Trump derangement syndrome? Or, I mean, or no? I, I hear what you're saying, and you're right. I do have a bit of Because there's Trump medication for that. Thank you. I do have a little bit of T.D. S where I, I Yeah, but can you spell TDS backwards? <laughs> it's tough, right? So I uh mm, STD? No, that's that's not <laughs> it. That's not it. That's not it. Uh that's also <laughs> applicable, but it's not it. So I mean <laughs> I mean, look, he he who did he have to beat? He had to take out Marco Rubio, who's probably got an IQ of about 80, uh, as we've discussed earlier today. Uh he had to take out Ted Cruz, who's just the ultimate bootlicker and will just sign up for any I mean uh, Donald <laughs> Donald Trump Donald Trump told him his wife's face looked like a dog and that, it, and that t- Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK. And Ted Cruz was like, yes, sir. Can I have another, please? Look, this guy is not a real political contender. The GOP field that they put up against Hillary. Hillary was like like the ascendant. Like she was guaranteed it was a slam dunk. This right. was her year. Whoever went up against Hillary was going to lose. So the GOP put up the the, the island of misfit frickin' toys, and we have a bunch of idiots up there who had no chance to actually take her down. And Trump ascended to the pile of the top of the pile of sixteen idiots. This is not a shrewd political animal. The, the this idea, is a guy who got lucky. The idea of Hillary is a slam dunk. The, the, the metaphor is confusing to me because I can't picture her in a pantsuit from and downtown high, and, and high heels uh, dunking on I can, anybody. Well, she's, it's like that. Not that even Muggsy Malone, Jordan Lee. Right from from the top of from the three point line, and she just sort of floats, one hand extended. So we've we've actually put off a bit for talking to our third talk about our third and final question. So we should probably get to it, Gunner. Yeah. The question is, doggone it, is the tide turning on wokeness and political correctness? Mm-hmm. And, and here's why I think maybe it has. When you right. lose Oliver Stone, right? I mean, he is a pretty progressive guy. He says that the uh, Hollywood industry is too sensitive and ridiculous at this point. And of course, the brilliant uh, intellectual. Ricky Gervais Ugh. says uh, cancel culture is a weird sort of fascism. I mean, uh-huh. I, you know, he I don't think he wants to be associated as, as a big Trump person. He knows it would be career suicide. But, but well, he, he says, also doesn't like him. He says yeah. if you're mildly left wing on Twitter, you're suddenly Trotsky. If you're mildly conservative, you know, you're Hitler. I, I mean, the, the hundred people who were intellectuals who are left of center types signed this open letter to the to Harper's, Harper's magazine. Bizarre, yeah. Well, not Harper's Bazaar. Sorry, Harper's Magazine. <laughs> but I, I mean, <laughs> what they're saying is, you know, folks on the left, you've just gone too far. I mean, do you think, well, my they, open do you letter, think they have a point? My open letter to Antiques Roadshow uh, <laughs> is going to really lay lay bare how ridiculous this Harper's letter is. And we may have Your talked about the Your bottle cap collection <laughs> is worth 
I'm going to get another opinion. It's a it's a hybrid of Antiques Roadshow and Pawn Stars. I identify the cool antiques, uh, and then I give people $5 for them, <laughs> no matter what they're really worth. So, um, it, look, this Harper's letter, I think, is, is uh, a symptom of how the left establishment, which is this neoliberal, neoliberal being uh, liberal, uh, like on the left side of the political spectrum, but pro-capitalist, pro-markets, uh, anti-regulation, basically uh, a milder arm of, uh, uh, it, it, they're basically what most of the world would call Put me down as a liberal, doggone it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're most what the most of the world would call conservatives in, in, in most other countries. But our conservative party is crazy right, and our democratic party is basically the conservative party in like, say, well, most, most of Europe. liberal is, stands for liberty, stands for freedom. Exactly. Yeah. And, but that includes, you know, basically freedom for corporations and, and freedom to compete in the marketplace right. and uh, being anti-government intervention, basically. So that's that's the world that we live in, and that's like the political alignment of many of the uh, the people who signed on to the Harper's letter, and they're signing they're signing on to that Harper's letter, which was a big you know milk toast piece. It was a very Joe Biden piece, uh, full of a bunch of platitudes uh, about how like, hey, don't fire us. We we don't want to get canceled on Twitter because it makes our uh, it makes our feelings hurt. This is. Uh, this is a reaction to the fact that there are a lot of really left leftist people out there who are actually gaining a platform and actually getting audiences and actually shouting to the rooftops from the rooftops and saying, we want the world to substantively change. We don't want Joe Biden to win and everybody to go, oh, my God, th- we finally solved it. We solved all the problems. Thank goodness we finally have a good old Democratic president again and everything's fine. And then all the people who've been protesting in the streets about police reform and George Floyd uh, and, and economic injustice and climate injustice uh, and, and the wealth gap. Uh, and and everything else are going to just be told. Look, shut up! You got Joe Biden. You got you got a Democratic president. That's the problem. And all these Harper's people are saying, we want to go to that world. We want to jump back into that mm-hmm. world where we get to sit back and say, look, we're the intellectual elite, and we cover each other's backs and each other's butts. And when we screw up, uh, it's we don't want to get canceled uh, on Twitter or or have any ramifications for our opinions that we put on the New York Times ed- editorial page. Because sometimes I put really. Opinions on that uh, editorial page, really, like really, really, really bad, and I don't want people to to care about that. I want them to forget about it and let me write my column again next week and collect my two hundred thousand dollar salary. Look, that is what this Harper's movement uh, about being anti cancer cancel culture is about. Guess what? Ricky Gervais feels aggrieved because he got canceled for saying a bunch of really offensive crap that wasn't even that funny. Well, I hear what you're saying, but you know what? If I were advising the Democratic Party, I think I'd say, you run Mr. Rogers, and he says, we'll pay your medical bills, all of them. We'll That's ta- Joe Biden. We'll tax the rich more than we're taxing them now. A little bit, not we're gonna, that much, but a gonna, little bit. We're going to save you from the climate change It's a really disaster. good impression. I like it. But instead, uh, they're thinking about saying... Put AOC or her equivalent on the uh, on the as the VP, yeah. and we're gonna blow up Mount Rushmore, right. and it's the only way Donald Trump can win. Look at Nancy Pelosi's Twitter account and tell me that there's something radical there. The only radical thing is she says Donald Trump bad, and then she just sticks to the so, party line of Joe Biden's good. Put, we're gonna elect put him. Put Nancy on the ticket. Actually, that's a bad idea because she doesn't <laughs> offer anything new or interesting and she's just totally an establishment politician. Well, this has been an exhausting episode, but I think we, <laughs> we covered do, a lot. We and do. I think we banged it out, Connor. We did bang it out. What happened to Chill Week? This was supposed to be Chill Week. See you next time on Too Many Lawyers. Bye, everybody. <laughs>